Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we left off in chapter 27 with Parsifal saying that this was the part that terrified him because he knew that there was a good chance that what he had planned was going to get him killed. But at this point, he did not care. He was throwing caution to the wind. He was going to reach the third gate or die trying. That's right. We're now entering into level three. And right off the bat, I can say this is just one of those short chapters. And I don't know how this is going to work tonight. I know we've got some points to kind of hinge around. And maybe after last chapter, we need a short chapter. Maybe. Sometimes the short chapters are the most surprising ones. They can just evolve into this big, long, four-hour recording session. You never know. And that's fucking happened before, too. So, and that's what we're going to do, hopefully. I've got, I've got some, some points on this, but right out of the gate, the IOI corporate police come to arrest him. And he says, and this is a very strange sort of fate-accepted sort of situation, where he says he was right in the middle of watching the movie Explorers which is this 1985 movie. It's directed by Joe Dante, and it's about three kids who uh, build a spaceship in their backyard, and then they fly off to meet aliens. And he says, and this is the part that kills me, easily one of the greatest kid flicks ever made. He said he'd gotten into the habit of watching it at least once a month, and it kept him centered. How many movies could you watch every month? Uh, I could watch a lot. If I had nothing else better to do than to, to sit in a room and, and do VR, I don't know. I don't know. I could, I, I'm pretty sure this movie would not be on the list. Oh, I'm pretty sure of that, too. Unless Halliday had like 40 pages dedicated to it. Yeah, you'd have to have about $240 billion on the line to make that a possibility. Like every day I'd wake up and go, have I watched it in the past 30 days? Do I still want half a trillion dollars? Yep, time to watch it again. Have I watched it in reverse? Because <laughs> then it gets better. Have I watched it while listening to Rush? Maybe the music in the movie syncs up, right? Maybe. Never know. So just a quick note on this movie. I'm not going to get into the rewatch of the movie, although I just rewatched the movie like 30 minutes ago. I just finished the movie 30 minutes ago because I wanted to be prepared for this chapter. I wanted to be and I wanted I wanted to be all knowledgeed up. I remember seeing this movie as a kid and it just it was it was one of those movies where I was kind of at the age of those kids, right? That's the age I was at when this movie came out. Ah, you know, I was in sixth grade in 1985. That that was right at that level, that sort of middle school level. So whenever I see a movie go from just empowering kids with imagination and and creativity, and back then I loved just like creating shit, and then the movie takes a fucking turn into what I'm going to classify right now as going full-on Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> it, goes, it goes from, and you know what? This isn't the first movie to have done that either. It's as if the writer didn't know what to do with the kids' stuff. Like, it was really good, and then it feels like it shifted gears. And it shifts gears right at that point where this robot starts doing the TSA move with the metal hands, turning him around and going for his butt pockets with these robotic hands. Oh, God, that was so, oh, that was so awkward. <sighs> you know, I, I loved the movie. It was so kind of inspiring. It felt like a kid could discover something both simple and grand. Like it was like like that kind of technology. This concept was within reach, was within 
you know, a, a dream's reach. And at that age, you know, I was just learning electronics. I was getting into computers. I, I kind of identified myself as a mix of the main three characters, right? So it really hit me. And then, damn it, it's fucking aliens. Yeah, that was rough, man. And I don't want to. I don't want to go crazy on this movie right now. We'll get crazy into it in in the bonus stuff. But I just want to say this is one of those movies where I, I don't see how maybe at some point if you just turn the movie off, then yeah, maybe. Yeah. But it goes full on Pee Wee Herman about halfway through. The no, flight. it was way. It was eh, two thirds. All right, two thirds. Two thirds in, it goes full on Pee Wee Herman. But but here's the crazy thing. This went Pee Wee Herman. Before the movie you're talking about that we're coining that term with. Yeah, uh, right, right. Because the other one was the Flight of the Navigator. Yep. Now, that's what I'm coining this term after. That's true. That, that this movie happened before the Flight of the Navigator. But I think Flight of the Navigator is where I, where I really solidified it because it is truly Pee Wee Herman voicing the spaceship. And Pee Wee Herman goes full on Pee Wee Herman in the middle of that movie. Again, a great movie, right up until the point that the freaking alien, why is it always a damn alien, gets just crazy, butt sparts, like, it's insulting. As a child, I was insulted. Yeah, re-watching Flight of the Navigator as an adult and getting to that scene where he goes full-on Pee Wee Herman is a little bit painful. I felt that same feeling watching this movie for the first time. So, but we can get to that a little later. Okay, so easily one of the greatest kid flicks ever made. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he's in his apartment. He's watching this movie. Thankfully... Thankfully, he's halfway through the movie. That means they yank him out of the chair. And he doesn't have to watch that part. <laughs> he doesn't have to watch the the shitty ending to that movie. Well, everything leading up to it, fantastic. The shitty ending to that movie. Oh, man. Uh, he's got security feeds, so he saw IOI coming in. Finally, something is going on in his security setup. <laughs> now he's actually got shit to watch exactly. for, right? Exactly. There's finally something going on on one of those feeds that he has to pay attention to. I think it's interesting that, like, what did he put, like, the feed on his window or something? Like, it's just, like, pointing down at the doors? That, that would seem odd. Like, he's sunk into the feeds of the building? That's, that would be weird. But anyhow, regardless, I, I find it interesting that to come and capture a, a teenager in a hotel room requires no less than four riot gear, basically, like, guards. Four riot gear police officers. Yeah, with some heavy, quote-unquote, artillery with them. They got, like, laser welder, torch things, and... How frequently is it that, that anyone has enough money in the game? I mean, we have to admit here that, that Parzival is a unique situation, okay? How odd is it that anyone would reinforce their room in that way? I mean, his situation is very special. Every time I've re-listened to this chapter, it just bothers me a little bit. Because you would think there'd be a point where these guys are like, there must be a reason why this particular person has gone to these great lengths to keep us out. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's odd. You know, like you'd think like, I get that the equipment that they come with is to really slow them down, right? I mean, the way he has his stuff set up, 
armor plating throughout even the walls. And I get that if they're going to cut through the door or if they're going to cut through maybe steel bars, you know, like there's rather than two by fours, some some building structures have steel bars for applying drywall and such. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe to cut through that to make that easier. But the stuff that's described here is is like, is like armor plating. It's it's like layer on layer shit. Like the stuff you would use to cut through drywall and, you know, the bars, I, I wouldn't hold up to this crap. They're bringing in plasma welders. I'm trying to picture him actually ordering this stuff online, getting it delivered, because this shit can't be light, and assembling it. And the amount of money it takes to do all this and the time. Well, he did have the time, and he could just pay someone to come install it. But he makes the point that the guy who comes into the apartment is the first and only visitor he's ever had. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe the rooms are, like, reinforced by default? Well, he said that they definitely have some security specs that they review before they enter the building. With, but he had this titanium sage cage or something. Mm-hmm. Ah, that just... Reinforced plate titanium war door. Swings down from the ceiling. Slams and locks into place over his apartment's built-in security door. So it's not just the security door they got to cut through. They've got to cut through a titanium war door. Plate titanium. So I'm I'm just picturing, <laughs> I'm picturing like let's say a a massive thermonuclear explosion goes off in Columbus, not that far from where Parzival is living. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing all the infrastructure is gone, but his apartment is just sitting there, <laughs> floating in midair because it's just so well reinforced, it's held up by a couple like random, random room posts. From the building, <laughs> but the apartment still, still the cube's still there. It's interesting that there would just be this much. It's like he was ready for them, and they were ready for him. Yeah, so it must happen a lot that people are investing tons of money in keeping these guys out, and mm-hmm. and then they wonder why they're in debt to the point where they're getting indentured. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you stop yeah. spending money on your uh, sage cage, you might be able to pay off credit cards. I mean, he does. He does write in here that, of course, the drop cops expected me to have redundant security, which is why they had brought plasma welders. I don't know why they would expect that. Uh, interesting, particularly if it's just a you know random Joe, Mister Lynch, who owes lots of money. Twenty grand, right? I, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's like part of the way through my student loans. <laughs> that is. Barely part of the way through my student. Yeah, loans. I know. It's just, I was, just like a chip off the fucking block of my student loans. I would, I would gladly take a check for twenty grand and throw it right towards my loans, though. I wouldn't. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I would use it for something else. Uh, so it's interesting. So I used, to, I used to be one of one of the jobs I worked was a bill collector, and you, I you've worked a lot of jobs. I've worked a lot of jobs. They, I was a bill and, collector when I lived in Seattle. And and I love how they all seem to tie back into this book. Feels like I've done all these jobs. I feel like you were destined for this. <laughs> uh, and I hated this job as a bill collector. It just absolutely sucked. I, I did not have the gusto that this particular group of folks has in pulling kids out of their out of their apartments. Of course, you know, I was making phone calls trying to get people, you know, to hey. They pay your bill, huh? Could you pay your bill, please? No. No. No, it wasn't like that. I mean, it was kind of like that sometimes. It was a little weird. I did, the best call I had was a gal called and she was going to pay off $2,000 that she owed someone. I don't remember who she owed, but it was just, you know, like nobody called to pay off 
their freaking debt for two thousand dollars. This was unheard of. It was a wonderful day. And I said, Well, that's fantastic. She's like, Well, you know, I've been working at the the some bunny ranch in, in Nevada. And I was like, I was like, a a bunny ranch? I was like, Are you a farmhand? She goes, No, not exactly. Now, oh. granted, yeah, right? I didn't exactly know what she was talking about. It took me a couple minutes to go, oh, oh, oh. She's like, yep, I make a lot of good money here. I was like, well, that's fantastic. We'll take that and pay off your bill right pronto. That's when you say pictures or it didn't happen. No, I didn't think that far ahead. And they were recording the call, so I don't think I could have uh, done yeah, that. that, that yeah. Uh, it, but they come in. And I love how they just they start off with the I'm here because you failed to make the last three payments on your IOI visa card. <laughs> Good to know is this visa a dig visa? <laughs> is this a dig at visa? Like, did Visa want to be in this book? Like, Visa's kind of like, I don't want to be associated with the assholes. Yeah, but could you imagine if he said uh, your IOI MasterCard? Or your, definitely not Discover card. <laughs> it's everywhere you want to be and sometimes where you don't want to be. Apparently. I just couldn't believe that Times have gotten so bad that corporations now have the ability to get warrants for your arrest. Indentured servitude. It's brilliant. You get people to work for you. And honestly, this is this is very much like the coal mining camps, the coal mining cities, where you didn't you, the money that you had was only good at the general store. So you would rent your house, you would pay for whatever utilities you got, you would then go and buy food, and that was your money. So, you know, like you would get paid and that pay would just go right back into the pockets of the business because the business owned all of the businesses and it was a sort of level of indebtedness and indentured servitude. You would get something for it, but it wasn't enough to leave and really wasn't enough for a decent living. It was just enough to keep you back in the mines and support whatever family you had. That's that's kind of like the situation. From the corporation's perspective, it's kind of brilliant. Yeah. But from the human perspective, it's kind of a kind of douchey slavery. That's slavery. Yeah. That's really what that is. That's why we don't do that. So it is interesting. Uh, but I like how under current federal law, you're now eligible for mandatory indenturement. Oh, I'm eligible now. You say eligible. Hmm. Does this does eligible sound like optional? Like I can. I'm eligible. I could choose to do it, or I could choose not to. Uh, he does make the point that some people actually didn't mind getting into indenturement because it was job security. It was not being on the streets. Oh, yeah. Kind of like being in prison. Get three square meals a day, a place to sleep, a roof over your head. You know, when you describe it that way. It doesn't sound like it's the greatest of times right now. <laughs> Just saying. I get you. All right. Well, he goes on to say, the gentleman are here to assist me in apprehending you and escorting you to the place, your new place of employment. He pulls him out of his chair, and of course, he, he says the words that trigger off it, the meltdown of his computer so that they can't get in. They can't figure out who he is, everything that, that says everything about him. And of course, they look at that. They would normally sell off that computer as like, you know, stupid move, kid. We would have used that to help pay off your, your bill. You drag him out, throw him on the floor, rip off his suit so, you know, it, he's naked, and then they throw like a paper, a hazmat suit on him is the gist. They, they take him and they toss him in the paddy wagon with other indentured criminals. So I've got to stop here and ask you, mm-hmm. have you ever been arrested? I have never been arrested. Never? Never. The, I mean, I've been in a car that got pulled over. About it. Was it, was it your car? Actually, you know what? I've been pulled. I've been in. Yeah, I was, I was pulled over once, twice. Three times a lady. No? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I've been pulled over twice, mm-hmm. uh, both times for doing nothing wrong. Well, that's what they all say. Hey, if you act dumb like you didn't do anything wrong, they'll, they'll let you go. So, what, you, you killed somebody accidentally? What? I thought that was a speed bump, officer. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, this guy thought I went through a stop sign, which is like, get you, if I'd gone through that stop sign, I'd have been dead. All right. So my experience, I was pulled over. It kind of reminds me of this, actually. So I kind of I kind of feel for Wade in this situation here. I was pulled over because my tags were expired. No, I was pulled over because my right taillight was out. Then he ran my tags and realized my tags were expired. Then he said, hey, Chris, why don't you come out here and talk to us for a second? This is never a good thing. No, not really. And he says, Chris, um, how long have you been out of Knoxville? And I was like, I, I live in Knoxville. I've not been out of Knoxville. So, so you've been in Knoxville for, for how long about now? And I've been for like seven or eight years now. He says, oh, okay. We just, we've got this warrant for your arrest. Oh, shit. Uh, why don't you just sit in back here for a second? We'll see if we can clear this up. I was like, oh, that's nice. You're going to offer me a seat with a, without, without handles on the doors. Okay. All right. So he says, Chris, um, normally, you know, for, for this kind of warrant, they would just let you go and just say, hey, come to court on this day. But I think, hey, they want to take you into Knoxville. Now, this time I was in Pigeon Forge, which is like a good 30 miles out of Knoxville. And I'm with my girlfriend, now wife who was in the car. So, you know, I, I told her, hey, just just call my mom who was in town and, and uh, she'll come and, and we'll get the car squared away. And I said, don't worry about it. I'll just go in. So they handcuffed me. <laughs> they handcuffed me. It, and they took me to the have, local department. You must have felt pretty darn good about this. You got your girlfriend in the car and you get arrested. Oh, baby. Yeah, I'm a badass. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, she must like the bad boy type. It's, I'll tell you what. I'm handcuffed. He takes me to the local jail. Then he takes me to the courthouse, which then transfers me to a paddy wagon, hence this scene. Granted, they didn't have, like, tubes and shit in, in there where I could, like, barf down the tube like they do in the book. Man, I've always wanted and to see they, one of those. They, then they, they paddy wagoned me down to Knoxville. The guy that was driving the van said I could wear the cuffs in front because he, he thought I wasn't, you know, I was being cooperative, so it would be cool. And I get down to Knoxville, and... It, the sheriff for the evening was kind of like, hey, uh, have you been out of Knoxville in the past five or six years? I'm like, no. I'm like, so you've just been good for five or six years. You've not been pulled over. I'm like, no, I've not. Why am I here? They're like, well, you wrote a check to Bilo for $20. And uh, that bounced. And then uh, you didn't pay it. And then they put a warrant out for your arrest like five years ago. So 20 bucks, 20 bucks. I got thrown into a paddy wagon, weighed 20,000. Thrown into a paddy wagon. <sighs> I share I share that experience with the book. I want the listeners out there to understand how much I'm shaking my head right now. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I got out. Uh, I, I called my brother, who was a police officer at Pigeon Forge, and, and he called the whatever the magistrate was in the evening, and I got out on my own, own recognizance at, like, midnight. And that is my warrant tale. I'm a dangerous man. Yeah, you could have been indentured. I could have been. If Bilo hadn't gone out of business, they, they ended up going bankrupt before they even collected the money. <laughs> they were $20 short at the end of the <laughs> fiscal year. They were $20 in the red, and they said, fuck it, we're shutting our doors. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, God. Poor chapter. Okay. So Wade's thrown in the paddy wagon. He's one of an assortment of smelly folks that are puking into hoses. He's doing the damned well best he can to kind of at least portray this sort of rebellious attitude where he's humming in the elevator as they take him down. And he's got like the ball gag in his mouth. I don't know if you've ever had a ball gag in your mouth. 
really difficult to hum without slobbering through the sides. Yeah. Well, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. And this was not part of our actual research, right? What? Trying the ball gag? Yeah. No, no, no. This is drawing on previous research. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's that's pretty much the gist of it, isn't it? His hands are cuffed. He, they throw, they, he's in the van. They throw the visor on him. This is the part I find particularly sick. Like, they throw the visor over him to see, like, a, a beach scene in order to calm people. Which I would think that when you're in a landlocked state such as Ohio, I mean, how many people are really enjoying the beach now to even, or even aware of it to know that it's this nice, peaceful place? I'm sure there's a simulation of it. Yeah, the simulation, that's not the same. Yeah, I know. But I, he, he takes it off. Because he says that that he hadn't been out in the real world for a long time, and he wanted to see how it changed. Which is strange, because you would think that for somebody who's obsessed with the Oasis, that putting the visor on would be like a comfort. But at that point, to me, that would feel like being manipulated. When I read this, the first thing that came to my mind was when he was leaving the stacks, and he wanted to look back on the, the city of his birth without a visor, and just see it. To me, this mm-hmm. was like an interesting bookend of that whole experience from leaving the, the place of his birth to the place, I don't know, how would you call Columbus? The place of his Gunterhood or something. <laughs> his Gunterhood? Yeah. Show. Does he have gang signs? Yeah. <laughs> this, however long of a period of time that he was in Columbus, was it was bookended with him looking back at the place that he just came from without his visor. Yeah, that's kind of a trip. There are a lot of little points throughout this chapter. I wish I could say that this was interesting. This is one of those chapters that's a filler. It's a bit of a shock, but they they kind of you get to the place where they come, they pull him out of his, his apartment, and then throw him into a van. And that's it. That's like six pages. But there are a couple little interesting points here. For one... He contemplates on whether or not the kid next to him that's puking up his regurgitated Oreos, whether or not they dump that on the street, whether they keep it in a tank. Probably in a tank. I thought it was interesting that he's like, they probably keep it in a tank because they want to know what he had. Why the fuck would, what would they get by analyzing it? Well, they they might figure out exactly which Oreos he was eating. Ugh, I would just like, like what the difference with. Well, it might be a clue to get open the third gate or something. No, it wouldn't be. But yeah, why would they do that? Why would they? I don't know. Maybe if you're going to analyze what kind of food he likes to eat so that you can order it in advance, so that you can add it to the menu, that seems really kind of awfully ritzy. Especially since you could just ask. Yeah, yeah, you could, sure. But maybe part of going to hell, the indenturement of hell, is just basically eating the last meal you ever had when you got picked up over and over and over again. I think they would just they'd put it in a tank and then dispose of it. <laughs> like they're not allowed, like legally not allowed to dump it onto the ground. Yeah, and they probably think, like, ugh, why don't they just let us dump it onto the ground? It'll, it'll go really well with the other puke on the ground. But, but not so much. He thinks they'll, they'll want to analyze it. That, maybe, that's just a, maybe that's just kind of a critique of how society has become too data centric like we're kind of there we're very data centric as a society right you know you first was big data and then it was the data lake and, and the data warehouse drowned in the data lake and we have all of this information not even really sure what to do with it that's that's kind of what it feels like like it's another data point but what it really is is just puke 
Like, what are you going to do with it? It's it's barf, but it's another point of data. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's just another thing, you know? I think about all the wearable technology we all wear to get all this data, and what do you do with it? I was watching an interesting video of somebody who was sort of critiquing data. He says, uh, one of the things that he'd said was that, you know, we have access to everything, but one of the problems with having access to everything is everything has access to us. Mm-hmm. And as a result, some people have no manners in how they use that data about us and sometimes even against us. For example, such as sending emails to, hey, the store is opening in three weeks. James Veach was the guy that was kind of ruminating on this this scenario, this sort of situation. He's fantastically funny. Uh, look up James Veach. He handles these sorts of things spectacularly. But it's true. Like, I, I could see a world where, you know, a business that is second largest in the world, as it's mentioned, at least in the movie, I don't know if it mentions that in the book, it is just this glutton of data, a glutton for data without any way of knowing what to do with it, just collecting, collecting, a hoard, hoarding data. It's the reason why they can't figure out where the key is. They can hoard all the information in the world. They can't put it together. But just having it makes them seem powerful. I could see that. Another interesting point I thought was... The spam reference? Yes. Peeling him out of his apartment like spam in a can. And just that sound of peeling back, ripping, ripping metal. Spam. Don't knock it till you fried it. Sizzle, pork, and mmm. Is it is it the thought of spam that makes you disgusted? Yeah, a little bit. Have you had have you had like skillet spam? Like you know, you cut it into slices and just kind of fry it. No, I have. That's sort of overly salty, super porky. No, I I don't partake in the pork. At least I haven't in like twenty years. Oh, okay. So when they first come in, he executes a macro called Crom Strong in His Mountain, which is a reference to Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, where he's talking about his god, Strom. Crom. <laughs> Strom? Fuck. He's, he's talking about his god, Crom, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. But also the fact that that in that conversation, uh, one of the guys that's with them says, my god's more powerful than you. Because, you know, your god is, my god is in the winds, and your god is under my god. But that was kind of interesting, because, you know... Crom strong in his mountain, you know, you still have the gods coming from the outside and peeling in to get at yours. So no matter how awesome the fortress is, no matter how much a god Parzival sees himself as, he's still going to get peeled out. They're still going to come in and pull his shit out. Yeah, we get that plasma welder out, which reminded me a lot of that uh, scene in Short Circuit 2, where uh, Johnny Five gets tricked into cutting the hole into the bank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with a little prep plasma welder. Yeah. Now, if I had to—I I get that it's not a kid's movie, but when I when I read that this was easily one of the greatest kid flicks ever made, my first thought was, was Short Circuit was my favorite movie as a kid. Okay. Now, granted, it's not a kid's movie. There are no kids in the movie. But as a kid, this idea that there were robots that could, you know, get hit by lightning and kind of become sort of stupid sentient, it, it take on a personality. I love that. That was pretty cool. I immediately went home and tried making a, a robot. 
the granted it was some LEDs strung to a nine volt battery inside of a, a wooden box that was hot glued together, but it was still really cool. It didn't move very far. <laughs> Shut up, man. Do we want to have the discussion at this point of what we think would be a proper best kid movie of all time? I think we need to have that discussion. So we've got to lay it out. What were what were kid what were kid movies? So we've already covered two of them. And I think we can cover a time range here. I feel like we can start and end the conversation with two words. Okay. The Goonies. <sighs> yes. Uh, you know what? Oh, fudge. Hold on a second. There's got to be, you know, you, you bring that out, and that is just absolutely a, a top How contender. the fuck do you top that? Right out of the gate. It never goes full Pee Wee Hermit. You feel like it's going to go there, but it never goes there. And it just, it keeps it suspenseful and occasionally a point of silliness like kids kind of find themselves in. You know, there's moments of humor. There was what I understood to be a scene where there's an octopus in the water when they get to the boat. And they cut this out. And I've not, I've seen bits of it. I've not seen the entire cut scene. Yeah, they cut it out because it looked horrible. But they they evidently played some music and the, the... the octopus like break dances away or some yeah, bullshit some like, like that. that yeah. I, 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 I'd seen little bits, but I'd never seen the whole thing, but that would have gone full Pee Wee Herman for me. Yeah. Like that would have gone, Oh, that's, it's the equivalent of jumping the shark in a kid's movie. Yeah. Where it's just too fucking silly for the rest of the movie. Yeah. If they had left that in there, that would have been that at the very least, it would have been that, that pockmark, it would have just, it had been a black eye on the movie. Thankfully, they didn't put it in the movie. And it's just a great movie and a great kids movie because you look at the entire cast and you kind of feel like there's a little bit of yourself that you can see in each of those characters. And I mean, when you were that age, like you would just want to be with one of those kids doing that crazy adventure and kind of following your dreams like that. I mean, like, how do you top that as a kid's movie? Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. It was just, it was inspiring. Like when I was a kid, I loved, I loved following the trails in the woods. I lived in Florida and I would get lost in our backyard because our backyard like bumped up against a swamp. And what I didn't realize then was that, that all of, of the dangerous animals that are in the fucking swamps, gators, gators snakes, uh, there was wild boar. Boars will f- fuck your shit up. Uh, and I was following animal paths. Bravo. I thought they were just like, they were just like paths. Like, just look, there's just sort of this worn trail through the woods, right? In some alternate dimension, you were probably gored by some wild boar. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, it, or it eaten by a snake or some shit. Or there's, there's uh, some Krish-shaped alligator somewhere. <laughs> My body inside of it. It's like help but, I mean, me, like, help me. Like we had, we had, we had tales. Like the school that I went to, there was a legend that somewhere along my property, because my property was a new property that was developed on the edge of a swamp, that somewhere a car had sunk into quicksand and the people inside died. Now that's not that's not particularly cool as an adult per se, but as a kid, that's like it's like whoa, that's, that's fucking golden, you know. And we. Just just on the edge of my property, I'd one day I saw like wires sticking out of the brush, and I know 
if you go to a number of places and you go brush, like you can see fairly far into the brush. That's not how it works in Florida. The edge of the brush is as far as you can fucking see, right? But there were wires sticking out. My brother and I grabbed the wires and tugged on it. It was an entire steering column. <laughs> Shit like that. Shit like that, right? That was adventure stuff. So when I watched Goonies, it was stuff like that. Like we, I never, we never turned around and went back. We always pressed forward because we'd already been backward. We'd not gone forward. Backward wasn't interesting. Forward was what was interesting. It, occasionally, I'd pop out like into some cul-de-sac on the other side of the neighborhood. Oh yeah, I've done that before. As a kid, I Goonies was the thing, and I had friends that were kind of like these kids. You know, and I was kind of like, again, sort of like an amalgamation of some of these kids, right? So I could relate. And this is the reason why you love the movie, because you can relate to the kids. Yeah. I'm really glad that they made that movie when they did, because if they tried to make it today, it just wouldn't be anything. Because like, like kids, I feel like kids don't have that sense of adventure because fuck, parents don't really let them do that kind of stuff anymore. Everybody's afraid. Everybody is... Uh, Dude, I have kids. Yeah. I know. I'm afraid. I would be afraid. Like, if I lived in Florida, I'd be like, you do not go through the edge. It's it's hypocritical, I know. I mean, I, I could sit back and go, I survived. But I have to think just barely a number of times. Yeah. Uh, I get it, though. You're right. Like, shit, people these days are afraid to talk to the neighbors. Like, no one knows their neighbors anymore. You know, I, as, a, as a kid, like, I knew my neighbors... And I would get on my bike, I'd ride down the street, I'd ride for miles. And, uh, yeah, you know, and no one had fucking phones. I know. There was no GPS. So, you know, I would go and I, I think of it now and I'm not sure how my parents kind of got along and let us do that. Yeah, I don't get it either because I, I remember there was one time I was literally like three houses down from my house and just ended up mm -hmm. like watching a movie with uh, one of the neighbor friends. And I remember going home, and my parents were like, "Where, where were you?" I'm like, "I was down the street." <laughs> but like, there wasn't like a huge panic, right? It was just like, "Oh, where you been? Yeah, where you been?" And I was like, "Oh, it's maybe I should have called." But like, it wasn't like there was a cell phone to call, right? 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 And of course, I was the jackass that didn't say, "Oh, by the way, I'm at the neighbor's house." I don't think my parents worried too often, but I mean, it. Yeah, it was adventures as a child. That's so okay. Uh, here's another one. I don't think it's as good as Goonies, but I definitely think that it classifies as a classic kids movie. All right, let's hear or it. A movie with starring kids. E.T. Okay, yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. You know, that's, that is the... Another Spielberg-y film. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a bit like when you find that, that lost puppy or lost kitten and you try to hide it from your parents, only this one is like a weirdly shaped penis alien. Yeah, it's it's... Helping move along that the conspiracy about how nice and friendly the aliens are, right? Yeah, and how they love our chocolate, you know, which would otherwise kill animals. I mean, how did we know that they weren't just poisoning E.T. one race species at a time? Well, yeah, well, well now all the E.T. race is going to be allergic to peanuts. <laughs> Except the one kid who introduced it, son of a bitch. Uh, I was looking through a list of, of kids' movies, and this one... I'm not going to put this on the list of classical kids' movies. I've seen this, and this is kind of a fucked-up movie. Have you seen Pan's Labyrinth? Pan's Labyrinth. No. Yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. It's, it, it's, it's World War II. It's just um, really 
just nightmarish to watch. It's not a horror film, mind you. The kids in the film are kind of suffering through a wartime situation. It's just ultimately a tragedy. So it's kind of like their mind is making up this make-believe world that is very elaborate. And, and they're just kind of dealing with it. This is how they deal with it. You know, fucked up life, fucked up imaginary world. If you get the chance, see it. Okay. All right, so what else is on your list? You can't just tell me you dropped Goonies and, and that's it. I'm thinking back to a lot of the movies that I used to watch that I guess, if we're going to say it's kids' movies that starred kids, I remember watching The Karate Kid a whole lot. That That's not, he wasn't, a, he was a teenager. I know, but it's still like, you know, you guys. Just because it has the word kid in it. Oh, that's true. It does have the word kid in it. What else would there be? Because when I think kids, I'm thinking like Goonies, for example, it's like middle school. Okay. I think we're really, I think we're really targeting middle school. We're talking explorers. When we're talking flight of the navigator, we're talking like late elementary, mid middle school. So what school-ish. about big? With Tom Hanks? Yeah, because they're kids. They're no, nope. no, it doesn't count. No, no, kid growing up into an adult does not, or or ch- transforming into an adult is just no. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. Like it, it has to be centered around kids. All right, what about not, um? Not kids. I'm trying to remember what the hell I used to watch back then. Kids as adults. What about what about uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's a kid's movie. Sure, I'd buy that. I mean, they have, like, their parents with them, but it's really kind of, it's focused on the kids. They're tertiary at best. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're, they're just the ones that flip out. They're as bad as the kids are oftentimes. Yeah, the reason why the kids are the way they are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that would be good. How would that rate in regards to, we're going to call we're gonna call this the Goonies scale. The Goonies Since scale. I think Goonies is as close to a 10 as you can possibly get. Yeah. How close to Goonies does this get? Because it's a musical, it loses weight. Yeah. Which one is a musical? We're talking about uh, Willy Wonka, right? Really? Does that count as a musical? Yeah, they sing. Well, they is the, the Oompa Loompas. No, but so Gene Wilder sings. It does he, well, I, In a world of pure imagination. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. All right. I was gonna say screaming on the boat with bugs getting eaten on the wall doesn't count. Oh, but that creepy right. ass scene. imagination. <laughs> that was weird. Um, <laughs> I think because of the singing, even though it's actually one of the movies where I don't mind as much because I don't know, it was such a big part of my childhood watching that movie. Yeah. If Goonies is a ten, oh, maybe I give it like a seven or an eight. All right. All right, I can see that. All right, I think so ET moving on. would be a not another nine or a ten. I could see, I could see ET being like a nine. I, it was, yeah, it was all right. Do you have any other contender contenders? What, well, what about Star Wars Episode One? I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> Isn't it centered around a kid? I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> who, who is empowered? Who, who builds his own racer and his own robot and, and his own robot and and is able to. Get out of his own indentured servitude. I see where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and he's got it. He's destined for great things. Uh, hold on. How about Harry Potter? I not the later ones, but the earlier ones, like the first one. I've actually never, I've never seen Harry Potter or read Harry Potter. Well, I think it's forgivable since it's not within the timelines that we're talking about. But you really need to probably at least see the first one. We'll see. It's a good kids movie. It's a good kind of. You know, that that discovering the self kind of thing. Like, after the first one, I'll be honest with you, 
I didn't really care all that much about the other ones. And there's like 10 of them or some shit, the eight of them, something like that. But the, the first one where it's like, you know, you're living in just sort of this shitty life. Your parents are dead. You live under the stairs. And then all of a sudden you get a letter that's kind of like, hey, guess what? You're going to come be a magician because your parents were awesome. Spoilers. You're like, you know what? If you've not seen it so far, if you've not seen it yet. Uh, trust then... me, I couldn't give two shits. Oh, that's right. You haven't seen it. <laughs> haven't seen it nor read it. And we are so, so far beyond spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that exhausts my list of kids' movies. But if anyone's Why listening. Planet of the Navigator. Mm, yes. Well, all right. We should talk about that, I guess. Didn't we talk about that in an earlier episode? No, we talked about it earlier today when we we're talking about movies going peewee. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Flight of the Navigator was great. It could you it know, could have been an eight or a nine, but because of the peewee. Went three. Yeah. <laughs> it just went to a, like a two. Wow. You're maybe. really harsh. Two and a half. I can't think of much worse. It, it's just, it's awesome. You know, kid gets abducted. He wakes up in the future. You know, his entire family has left town and they pick him up and they're like scanning his brainwaves and his brainwaves are like fucking broadcasting this design for a ship. And, uh, you know, there's this, you know, map of the universe. And they're just like, what? The? And he's at NASA. And this is everything you want as a child. You know, you want to be abducted and then you don't remember anything and then you get picked up and everybody treats you special and you get to go to NASA. Right. I lived in Florida during when this movie was made. This was kind of like what I wanted my life to be. And then he gets in the spaceship and like, this is freaking awesome. And they even start flying around and change his shape. And then they do the mind meld shit. Uh. And then it this and then it f- fucking goes Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> Literally. Literally, because that's the voice of the freaking ship. And at that point, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm eating popcorn. I'm a kid. I'm like that fucking age, right? I'm earlier, like elementary school. So I am kind of that kid's age, right? Yeah. And it's just like you're eating popcorn, eating popcorn, eating popcorn. You get to that point, and you're like, what happened? When did this get so stupid? And then you just, you just, you want to bring like that next munch of popcorn to your mouth, but you're like, ah, uh, uh, fuck it. I'm done. And you just, you just, Rage quit the fucking popcorn. Yeah. I mean, you can't leave because I'm with my parents. But, you know, it, at that point, it's just stupid. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, the writers are like, we got to make a left turn here. We got to do something fun and kooky. I know. We'll write it in and we'll bring in we'll bring in Pee Wee Herman to do the voice of the spaceship. That's what kids love, isn't it, these days? <sighs> I can see this is like a scarring moment in our childhood. Yeah, a little bit. Like, they just that. Uh, we should move on before it really starts to hurt. Yeah, before the tears start to come out. Yeah. Really. Even the end of the movie, pretty good. It's just like for a good 25 minutes, just went full on Pee Wee Herman, and I, I was just so over it. Mm-hmm. So fucking over it. Now, that said, I keep saying full on Pee Wee Herman. I should classify the fact that if you like Pee Wee Herman, and you've watched Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse, you know what you're in for. It's not a serious a serious show by any stretch of the imagination. The furniture fucking talks to you, you know? And, and we had some great actors that kind of made some really cool appearances there. For example, Lord. Cowboy Curtis was Morpheus. Morpheus. Did you, watch, you ever watch Pee Wee's Playhouse? No, but we did talk about this on an earlier episode, and I remember Googling the image of... Uh... Whatever. And <laughs> just being Curtis and Morpheus. Scarred that Morpheus uh, it, it, 
Oh yeah. Look, if if you if it's if you're into Pee Wee's Playhouse and there was a place for it, that's great. Okay, I'm I'm not dissing that. It's when somebody goes, "Hey, that went really good, so let's drop it into this really cool movie where we're empowering kids because that's what kids like," and just plop it in there, and it just goes from serious and and something I can really deeply relate to to stupid in like five seconds flat. Yeah, that that is where I have a problem. Where somebody's you know they're kind of like this movie's gotten a little dark. We ought to throw in something super crazy and funny in the middle of it. I know we'll have a machine feel his butt pocket. It has like grippy hands. It'll be like the TSA for aliens. If you work for the TSA, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry on, for you on many really. levels. This is it. Yeah, on many levels, many levels. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, Flight of the Navigator can kiss my ass, but it belongs on the it belongs on the list. It just belongs sure. on the other side of that fucking list. Yep. Anything else that comes to mind, or are we done with that list? We're done with that list. Okay. I'm out of that list. Was there was there anything that jumped out at you about this particular chapter? Because again, short damn chapter. Yeah. So I did my usual dig deep into things. One thing that I thought was interesting, after spending months and months trying to get in touch with Artemis, in this chapter, he actually ignores emails and chat requests from her. Wouldn't you? Well, I mean, like, he says that he doesn't want them to change his mind about anything, but it was just interesting that, like, he is so committed to his plan that the person that he's been trying to get in touch with the most, more than anyone else in the last few months, he decides, nope, I'm focused on the plan. The plan, like, this is bigger than me. Well, he went um, hormone cold turkey. Yeah. You know, but the minute you get him back and he starts talking to her, she'd she'd be like, what the fuck are you going to do? He'd be like, I can't tell you. And she'd be like, Parzival, you got to tell me. And he'd be like, well, I've got this thing. And she'd be like, you can't do that, man. It's not worth it. This is your life we're talking about. And he'd start to think, wow, she really likes she me. She likes me. Maybe I shouldn't do that. And it, it, he knows where this would yeah, go. So- he, he's recognized, look, I'm, I'm hormone cold turkey. Uber Betty's in the closet. I've hung it up. You know, he is, his mind his mind is on the prize. His mind's on the money. He's got the money on the mind. Do you want to be the repo guy picking up the Uber Betty? I wonder what the resale value on an Uber Betty I would be. I used Uber Betty. <laughs> That's what I said. Ugh. The resale. Resale value. Gross. Well, those parts, I imagine you can pull those parts yeah. on and off. You just and throw, you change it, them you out. throw it into the mosh wash and you're done. <laughs> well, you just hang that up and hose it down, right? Yeah, talk about another chapter that just went through a whole bunch of really nice creative marketing names like the Volt Jolt Stun Gun, or there was a few other good ones. I honestly thought it was like branded, like like Brondo, only this was the Jolt Volt. You know, if you've had Jolt, the caffeinated, carbonated beverage, now have the Jolt Volt, the stun gun to take out children. Yeah. With like with the same logo on the Harsh. side, too, right? <laughs> so let's see, what else did I find in this chapter? So uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, and it has nothing to do with what the actual intent behind the name was, but the IOI agent, who the only one whose name we get is Michael Wilson, okay? Okay. So I was like, okay, well, that's probably a, a name shared by a billion people, but let's see what happens if I start doing some research on this name. Oh, no. So the few things that came up, or at least the one that I thought was most interesting, there was a... Michael Wilson, who was the guy who wrote the screenplay for the movie Planet of the Apes. Interesting. Interesting. 
here's where it got even a little more interesting and weird. In that same entry for this Michael Wilson, he's listed as uncredited in a film called The Tempest. Okay. I'm trying to figure out where you're going with this well, one. All Tempest right. is the uh, the arcade game. Okay. You know, that vector graphic, you know, shooting hole into that hole and the demons and stuff. No, no, I I, I know I'm horrible at that game. Oh, I know, yeah, but uh, I thought that was kind of cool. This weird Michael Wilson is an uncredited something or other in the film called The Tempest, which is the name of a game which may or may not be referred to later. Please cut that part out. No, I'm going to leave that one. No. <laughs> no, talk about the re- reference to later in the book. I, I love how if you and I were just crazy people, like crazy... Um, Wait, we're not? Well, mm, arguable. But I, I mean, like super crazy, like like conspiracy theory crazy. We would have that giant fucking wall. Here's Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson was a part of Tempest, and Tempest is the name of a vid we'd like to be drawing. We'd have like a big fucking spool of rainbow yarn around these tacks with with pictures drawing us closer to the center that is this story. So Michael Wilson, is this the same guy who on Twitter his name is Buddha Butter? I have no idea. Creative director, art director, crayon evangelist, and cultural engineer. Again, no, different different guy. Uh, do you know how many Michael Wilsons there probably are? A billion. Uh, I just kind of, I it, he's a creative director. I thought maybe. I mean, he's like one of the first names that comes up on the Googles. What does that say about you? Right up next to the former professional sportsman, best known for his role as Cobra on the British TV show Gladiators. Oh, his name was Michael Wilson. Oh yeah. I, I don't. That doesn't mean. Or anything. it's just a plain old vanilla name. It's like, oh, let's think of the most boring ass name. Sorry, all the Michael Wilsons out there. But let's think about the most boring name that I could think of for an IOI creditor agent dude. You and you and I both know that there is no name that is not a part of something that's not reaching to something. Should we ever get Ernest Klein on this podcast, it's going to be like an episode of Two Ferns. <laughs> so, Michael Wilson, who the fuck is that? Yeah. And Ernest will be like, um, I, I, who? What do you mean? It's just a name, dude. Nope. No, see, I'm going to be sitting <laughs> no. there reading off all the, the IOI numbers that show up in the book and be like, what does this mean? <laughs> How did you come up with this number? Why do they all start with six? Whose phone number is this? No, something. That's going to be fucking us. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. So anyway, I'll, shall I continue on the other things that I, that I thought were oh, interesting yeah. things to talk about yes. with regards to this chapter? Since it... Please put another pin in the wall. Okay. Absolutely. So his self-destruct sequence command word is shitstorm. What would your self-destruct <laughs> command word be? Oh, I thought you were going to pull that from somewhere. No. And shitstorm was said in this yeah, movie. No, I... But, I won't lie. I tried. You looked it up. You looked it up. I tried, and I was like, "Nope, this is way too colloquial or whatever." It it it's not worth going down that rabbit hole. Gotcha. It was just speaking to the moment that if he had to say "shitstorm," it's because there was a shitstorm. Yeah. So what what would right. your self destruct command word be? Uh, you know, it would have to be something. See, here's the problem. If I use the term shitstorm. Even in my normal day-to-day life, such as it is right now, you and I talking, my computer would be burning a hole in itself. It would have it would have to be something that I would never say. Crom strong in his mountain. No, because I've already said that this evening, and then my computer would be melting itself. It would have to be something like rainbow fart unicorn murderer. Like I would never say that, except for now. Are you sure you would never say that? I, I can't guarantee that I've never said it before. 
But I'm, I'm, I believe I'm just pulling that out of my ass. So then, that's the problem. It would have to be something that I that I couldn't just say. Okay, so then maybe it was a. It's more than just saying something. So like, here's what I thought. I would program my stronghold or whatever to have the spaceball self-destruct button in it. Uh, okay, that's clever. Now, so the, now what I would do to, just to make sure that it's something I wanted to do, I would make that a mini challenge. Like I would have to do the Vulcan neck pinch and defeat Dark Helmet, and that would be the only way to actually do the self-destruct sequence. Well, all right, but if somebody, what if somebody like quickly broke in on you as a surprise? Well, then I type in shitstorm. Well, so you would have two. I suppose you'd have to have you'd a backup have a diff- plan. Yeah. Is is it because the first way we want to make sure you want to make sure that that you definitely want to do it, and the second way is just a surprise? Maybe what I would do is I would create like a little backdoor type thing where instead of trying to go to the destruct button, go to the um, cancellation button and just say, if I hit that three times, that's self-destruct. But it'll probably be out of order anyway. See, generally, when I have a shitstorm, it is through the back door. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> that's sad. We're going to move on. <laughs> I, I I don't know what I would use. I, you know, I take that back. I think, I think I would use like a string of obscenities that I otherwise would never say. Like, there's a handful of words that you just use letters to say it's that word. Like, my son, whenever I would say shit, he'd say, oh, you said the S word, right? So it would have to be, like, a string of obscenities that I would never say. And then that would be that would be my... But you'd have to make it easy enough to remember, too. I probably could. It wouldn't. The string wouldn't be very long. You could always write it down on a Post-it note. I could. Stick it on my computer. Anyhow, that's, yeah, it'd have to be something I wouldn't say in regular company or on this show. You can say it on the show. We tag it as explicit lyrics or words or whatever. Um, We don't have a beep. Why don't you just program uh, some beeps and then we can say, oh, that's pretty crazy. (laughs) Like, my my command would be and then I'd be like, whoa, that was offensive. I I hear what you're saying, but I'm too lazy to do that. Yeah, yeah, no. Not so much. So what else you get on this chapter? That's it. That is it. Like we're talking four, maybe five pages. And he'll do this. Like it's just it's just a segue. This is just him coming and getting his shit dragged out and him just trying to like chill with it as best he possibly can. They don't he doesn't even make it all the way to the check in facility. It's just, you know, I, I feel like we got to the end of this chapter and it's him looking out the window of a van driving down the street. Pretty much. In scene. So maybe that's just in scene, that's just how it should have been. So, I, one of the things I always kind of wonder is his resistance. Mm-hmm. This was all part of his plan. So, like, why is he trying to slow them down? The whole comment about sure, let me just put my pants on. He could have started off his his commands ahead of time, and he could have just been like, "Okay, well, come get me." But was resisting part of the act? Mm. Have you ever have you ever seen thermite go off? Probably on MythBusters or something. Well, all right. Um... Thermite takes a lot to go off, and it's not like it just instantly explodes and you're good. So thermite kind of builds up enough heat that it can melt through whatever it's on top of. You want to fuck up somebody's car, man, you get a you get a, a flower pot filled with thermite, which I'm pretty sure is like half half I could have that wrong. I don't know. Maybe not. We probably shouldn't share the recipe for it anyway. Just you look that up, kids. It's online. It's on the internet. It's on the interwebs. Hell, Google will tell you. You couldn't do that in the 80s. It's <laughs> Yes, you could. <laughs> Look on the internet? 
No, no, sir. I, I had a. Uh... I had the Poor Man's James Bond collection, which was a series of books that today, possibly just possessing, might might be evidence of of terrorism, evidence of terrorist contemplations. I mean, it maybe some circumstantial evidence, and but it was one of the it was one of those series of books where it would teach you how to like pick locks, how to make explosives, how to make like poor man guns out of household appliances, all kinds of shit, dude. How to make fireworks. This was none of this stuff was like shit you should try because you very wrong in how it's how they wrote it down. But it was like part survivalist, part chemist, part drug experimentation, although I never played with that part. Part MacGyver. Part MacGyver. Sure. (laughs) Uh, But this was like shit you could get at your local military store, your military surplus store at the time. Right. And they were physical books. They were physical books. Poor man's James Bond. And there was a couple others as well. Never heard of physical books. Yeah, I know. It's all digital now. So Thermite takes a while to get started. Like, it is not easy to light. And then when it gets started, it, it's very active, but it takes a couple minutes maybe for it to get all the way through of where it's going. So you'd need the time. Now, granted, yeah, he could have gotten started while they were coming up. But I got to imagine they would have been to his door pretty damn fast anyhow. And he knows it's going to take him a few minutes to get through. So he's in no rush, I would imagine, you know, to get everything happening. Just, you know, hits the button, the door comes down, they start trying to cut through it. And he just, you know, says his word and his computer starts melting down. And that's, and then you're just kind of sitting and waiting. So do you think he installed the incendiary device back when he built it? Or did he order that part and put it in as part of this plan? I, d- I don't know that Amazon would have a thermite hard drive melter that you could just order. But you could definitely buy the the equipment. You could definitely buy this stuff. It's just crazy. I'm not, I'm not saying that he couldn't buy it. What My question to you is, do you think when he was building his console, you know, the thing that he was so proud of a couple chapters ago, did he put that incendiary device in there then? Or did he put it in there as part of this plan? Um... Ooh, that's uh, you know what? I would have put it in there initially myself because being paranoid about being found and trying to be killed or being identified or somebody maybe getting my information or even worse because it does a scan, right? I mean, you do have to use like a password or something, but if if somebody had broken into my fortress of solitude, let's say, and grabbed me, it's it's quite reasonable to say that somebody could have hijacked my avatar by torturing me to say the phrase that would get me online and that it would just be a lot easier for me to say the phrase to destroy my computer so that torturing me would be pointless. I mean, granted, maybe they would just kill me, but it would at least be pointless, you know, that they, they would have one less thing to fiddle futz with. Like, there'd be no point to torturing me to get something. Okay. Well, you've made, you've made a good case for him having done it a long time ago. Okay. Why? Did you, do you feel like maybe you just set it up just for that event? Well, he never mentioned it before. True. And he did have to plan for this, but with all like the remailing services and stuff, there's no way he could have said, all right, I need to make sure that my hard drive can melt into slag and get all that done. That's true. So he he kind of had to have planned for that. And the paranoia yeah. that he would have been in, probably it probably does make sense he would have done it ahead of time that's at least how i would reason it you know or or at least a a word to erase my hard drive completely but the the insult to injury here is that he used thermite to melt his computer like there's nothing inside of it that would be usable that's that is a the argument could be made that he could have just used a a word to erase his hard drive 
but that this was specifically for this event because his biggest middle finger would be not giving IOI any more than he had to. Well, see, that's the thing is that he actually does zero out the drive and he detonates the device. Melts it. Which is just yeah. like, that's some serious shit. Like, and that's the kind of thing that makes me wonder why aren't they thinking, who does this kid think he is? That he is just a random loser on the, uh, on, in the Oasis, right? But, oh, wait right. a minute. He's making sure we can't see his computer. Maybe he's someone a little more important. Well, or maybe somebody, because he does, like, flip them the bird as they're taking him out. That's true. So, somebody who's rebellious. Like, if you're going to take me, fuck you. You're not going to get my computer. I did find it interesting that the the cop was like, that was stupid. We could have used that to pay down your debt. So, does the cop think that it's actually possible to pay down the debt? I don't know. The movie definitely takes it to a different, a slightly different place. Like, indentured servitude is a permanent situation whereas the book makes it sound more like a permanent desk job where where maybe you can pay off your debt over time kind of but the, the movie makes it sound much worse much worse like it's literally manual labor you know here to take these really heavy charges it's funny they have weight in the oasis and then drop them in these holes that's you know what when it has weight when it, when when the bombs weigh like 50 pounds and you've got to drag them into holes that somebody jackhammered into a virtual street it's too real it's, it's too fucking real all right but it you know makes it seem like it's manual labor so that's like maybe that's what it was trying to communicate all right so beyond that beyond that i think we've picked the crap out of this chapter we've really you know this this is like ringing the towel for that last drip of water i don't know where i'm going with that one but but you get it though. We're really really scraping the bottom of the barrel for this chapter because there just isn't a whole lot here. No, it's a very quick chapter. It's really kind of a segue between the last chapter and what goes on hereafter. So it really it's very it's very efficient. Yeah, yeah. It sets a tone. You know his frame of mind. You you get his attitude going into this. You know that it's intentional. And you get a feel for where his head's at when he's thrown into the paddy wagon and he's carted off to his life of, of indentured servitude. And it's a nice segue. Of all the segues, this is nice. Yeah, it's nice. Well, I mean, it's, it's functional. Yeah, and you want to know what's going to happen next. It's not like it's not a turnoff the way it's it's executed. And I might add, this is an introduction to IOI. Like we've known IOI from the outside. This is IOI from the inside. IOI is run like like the worst kind of prison camp where they just fucking shuck your ass and throw a ball gag in your mouth and you know just kick you the fuck around. Like he just owes money. He just owes money. He didn't run over a child. He just owes money, and they're treating him like just, you know, scum of the earth. So this is IOI from the inside. This is his first introduction. And they're bringing, like, plasma welders and kicking down doors. So I thought this was, like, a good introduction to what IOI is like from... You think that they're a corporate suck from from the inside, from the VR perspective. But then you realize, oh, no, no, they're hundreds of times worse in reality. You know, things are going to get real. It'd be like if the prison system decided to get corporate. What do you do? Well, we're a prison system, but we do marketing and we're trying to take over the Internet. You know, anyway. All right. Have we bled this one dry? I think so. There's no point in dragging it out any further. All right. Well, with that said, we're going to finish up this chapter and we will 
be back with Chapter 29 to figure out what happens after they drop him off at IOI. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And this has been Get to the Good Part. We will see you in the next chapter.